As a member of the missions committee, I had the opportunity during first service to introduce Antonor. It's hard for me to say just Antonor because Phyllis and Antonor rolls off my tongue easier. It reminds me of when Bill Clinton was running for president the first time and he followed Hillary after she gave a speech and he said, you know, if you vote for me, it's a two for one. Well, that's kind of what we get with Phyllis and Antonor. We get a two for one because they're really a team. Um, if you were here for class, you saw their report and you saw lots of slides and, and different things. And I'm not about to uh, steal his thunder, but I had the opportunity to sit behind Brandon Hedick during class. And it occurred to me that we often think about when we are supporting a missionary, we think about the work that's going on in that place over there. But I've had the opportunity to be in Brazil with Brandon. And because of the work that's going on over there that we're helping to support, there's a great work that's going on in the heart of that young man also and what he's doing here. It's fun to watch Brandon's Facebook page because every now and again it just pops up. I love Brazil. And Brandon, Brandon is a different person than he would be except for his involvement in Brazil. And that's only because of their involvement with us and our partnership with them. So with that, I want to introduce our speaker this morning, Antonor Gonzalez. That was a great testimonial there. Thank you, Michael. I mentioned, you know, in the first service that Phyllis and I have been here in the States for about a month and landed here and went to Austin to see Phyllis's mom. Spent a few days there and Alice Shepard sends her greetings to all the Johnson Street family. Uh, and then we've been to Japan and visited a couple of churches, one in Texas and one in Oklahoma. I had the privilege to speak at the congregation in Greenberry, beautiful little place there. Uh, they were having on that Sunday the special mission contribution for 2012. Their goal was to raise 148,000, and they were able to raise 168,000 that Sunday morning. And it was fun and exciting to be part of that Sunday with them. Uh, before I got up there to preach, they had this picture on the screen, this old picture of when I was in my 20s, not quite 30 yet. And Phyllis and I, I was sitting next to Phyllis. She was holding Allie, our daughter, who at the time was maybe like three or four. And, uh, and they've been, you know, the, ch the church there in, in Granbury uh, has been associated with our ministry for a long time. And, uh, and afterwards, I, I noticed that that was the picture that one time we were showing to our kids there in Brazil. And Addie looked at it and she said, Mom, why did you see my dad to marry him? 
And I said, young lady, let me tell you, she had a lot of foresight. She saw a lot of potential in me. So, you know, that was an interesting incident there. And this beautiful sister, Dan Granberry, said, hey, I haven't seen you in two years. We don't get to be with you know, our friends here, you know, very often. And she said, but you haven't changed a bit. I think that's what she said. Uh, but what happened to your hair, you know? <laughs> Except for your hair. I said, well, it is turning, turning gray, you know, every day it seems like it. Uh, <clears throat> it's great to be back in, in, in San Angelo and be with this family here. And I want to thank you all for your support, for not just your financial support, but your spiritual support, your presence, your physical support being there in Itu, Brazil with us. And for several years now, we've had the privilege to receive some of you all there, you know, with the mission teams to help us with the bilingual camp, to help us with the medical campaign and, and different things. And uh, we appreciate you all very much. And we hope that you continue to come, to touch our lives. You've made a difference in the life of that church, which is growing. It's excited. And uh, we're reaching out to people. We're a visible church. We're serving the needy like Jesus did. We're trying to follow his model. You know, and as I get older, I was sharing with my a friend here today, as I get older, I'm, I'm paying much more attention to what you're doing than to what you're saying. Because what you do comes before what you say. And we want to be a church that is doing things, making an impact, changing lives. That's my business. That's our business. To see lives being transformed. It's a serious matter because it has an eternal impact. And, and this is what we're doing. And I'm so blessed for being part of you know, this opportunity, you know, this ministry there in Brazil. Uh, <clears throat> I'm going to open my Bible in the book of Philippians, and I'm going to be reading a few verses today because it, you know, the book of Philippians is a great story of this man who was a missionary, the Apostle Paul, and his relationship to this church in Philippi. And they came into this partnership. Paul was there, Macedonia. He preached the gospel. He started the church there in one of his missionary journeys. And then he went on. He went on to Achaia. He went on to continue his mission. And, and they have a great relationship. You know, this is a, a great book to study. Some of you may be about to embark on on the study of uh, Philippians, and I want to encourage you to do that. Um, you see a lot of joy in this book, and, and joy and kingdom business go together. Joy and giving go together. Uh, the first part of chapter 4, verse, actually down verse 10 down to 13, we know that Paul is saying, hey, I have learned to trust my Lord. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I'm happy, I'm content in any and every circumstance of my life. Uh, my dad used to say, Antenor, life is a school. And you better learn. And I have learned a few good lessons, a few hard lessons too. 
And Paul is saying, and as you're going through this school, you learn, you need to learn to trust in the Lord. I have learned to trust in the Lord who gives me strength. And then he says, verse 14, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. Then he goes on, For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what, for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment, even more. I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. And the church says, Amen. How would you like to be remembered? That's the title of today. How would you like to be remembered? It's amazing that we still remember these folks right there in Philippi. And we study and we read about their story today, 2,000 years later. You might have heard of uh, a man named Alfred Nobel, uh, a Swedish chemist, the inventor of dynamite. He opened up his newspaper one morning, and he read an obituary for him in which he was called the merchant of death. Finally, the merchant of death has died. Does anybody here have the habit of reading the newspaper in the morning? You like to read the obituary? Now, I mentioned earlier today that I like to read it. Now, we might have some acquaintance there, and we might want to visit people and bless people and serve the mourning families. Uh, this man had this habit of reading the newspaper every morning, and he opened it up one day, and there it is, his name right there. He was shocked. He was shocked. Number one, because he hadn't died, right? Yeah, he was still well and alive, you know, to be able to read the obituary. But number two, he had a horrible fame. He said, I don't want to die with this epitaph, you know. You know the merchant of death. The guy who'd made his wealth at the cost of others. He said, no, I don't want to go down in history with that. So that day he made a decision. He said, I want to be remembered as one who gave his wealth for the improvement of human life. So in his last will, the story says that he donated, he left 94% of his fortune, 94% of his wealth to the establishment of the five Nobel Prizes, chemistry, physics, medicine, literature, and peace. That's how he's remembered today, you know, because he made a conscious decision. You know, there are three common motivators uh, to make us move, to make us take action and change sometimes. The number one, and this is true all over the world, the number one motivator is pain. When you feel the pain, no, you pick up the phone in the middle of the night and you set up that appointment and you call the next you know, nearby clinic and you say, hey, I need to see somebody. I need to see a dentist. I need to see a doctor. No, pain or pressure. Second common motivator is pressure. Admit? Isn't that the truth? Putting some Portuguese here. Now, you feel the pressure. You get to your office on Monday morning, 
8 o'clock, and the boss says, I want that report on my desk by the end of the day. Some pressure, right? Or you go see the doctor, and he says, if you, don't, if you don't change your habits, you're going to die. Some pressure there. The heat is on, right? And you're ready to make a change. You're ready to make a decision. Or the third common motivator would be perspective. You get a full perspective. You get a full picture of what's going on, and you say, I don't like this. I'm going to change. I'm going to do something about it. Okay? And, uh, and sometimes we're, we're, we're moved by one of these uh, uh, motivators. How would you like to be remembered? That man, Alfred Nobel, made a decision that day. He saw a full picture. It wasn't pretty. He said, I'm going to make something. I'm going to make a decision today. You know, he did it. The Philippians are remembered to this day because they also invested. They also donated to the improvement of life. But not physical life. More importantly, they invested in the spiritual lives of people through Paul's missionary efforts. And when Paul talks about the Philippians in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he says, Brothers, I want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, overflow, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. And then verse 12, Paul says, within the same context, for if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable. Paul is saying it wasn't about wealth. It was about willingness. It wasn't about the amount. It was about the attitude. And these folks are remembered Paul is writing to them to say thank you because of their heart, because their big heart, because of their investment in the kingdom, because they wanted to see the kingdom being furthered, because they wanted to invest in missions. Uh, and chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, Paul says, and God loves a cheerful giver. We know that God loves everyone. God loves the whole world. He gave his son because of that amazing love for us. Incredible. He gave the best he had. He gave generously, completely, sacrificially, you know, Jesus Christ. And it says that God loves a cheerful giver. And I started wondering about that and, and meditating about it. And my conclusion is, yes, God loves the whole world. There's no partiality in God's heart. However, when he sees one who gives of himself cheerfully, generously, it touches a special place, a soft place in God's heart. Because that's when we most resemble his only begotten son, who went to the cross, not complaining, griping, groaning, or moaning. He went willingly. He gave himself he says in John 10, verse 18, uh, I lay down my life for the sheep. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. And he was there, six hours, hanging there, right? Because he 
wanted to show people, no one takes my life from me. I will give it when I want to. I have this power to do it. God is that kind of God. That's the, that's the God we have that gives himself generously, completely, and willingly. The Bible says, if anyone needs any wisdom, James 1, 5, what must one do? Ask God. Go to God. Because he's very generous. And he will give you without finding fault. So you go to God. Now, God doesn't give it you know, grudgingly. Oh, not you again. You already came to me last week, and here you are again. No, he gives gladly. That's God's nature. So we learn how to give you know, from God. And when we give, you know, we're saying, thank you, God, for what you've already done in my past. God, I acknowledge that the kingdom is the most important thing in my present and I know that in my future, you'll be there. I trust you. I can do everything in any and every circumstance through you working in my life, giving me the strength, giving me your power. I can do anything in the future because I know the kind of God. I know the kind of you know, father I have had in the past that I have now in the, in the present. When Paul talks to the Corinthians, he uses some beautiful words. And I'd like to just... Uh, just uh, uh, highlight three words that Paul uses here in the context of Philippians chapter 4. The first word is the word share. Verse 15, Paul says, As if you Philippians know in the early days of, our, of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. Paul used the word share here. And the word share is the word koinonia, known by all of us, which means in this context, partnership. Paul was saying, you all became partners with me. You saw my need, and you were ready to serve me. You were ready to help me financially. And whatever ministry you help financially, you become a partner with that ministry. I shared with the church today a few pictures of some of the ministries that we've had in Brazil uh, one is like the TV program, the radio program, and the TV program. And this is a man in the picture there called Arteiro. Arteiro. He's a fisherman. He goes out to the open seas, and he's gone for 10 or 15 days. And he takes our radio program on CDs, and he puts those you know, radio programs uh, on the air through his ham radio. And he's evangelizing people. And sometimes, some days you forget to put the program on, and the fishermen from the, you know, the area there will call and say, hey, where is the impact of ministry? Where is Antenor today? We want to hear a Bible lesson. And we've become partners with this art. Even though I've never seen him, I've never met him personally. Another story of partnership is this man named Cesar. Now, the guy can read or write, but he bought a DVD player. And uh, he has the, the, the TV programs there on, our, on a DVD. And he goes around, you know, sharing this. He can, of course, you know, punch the, the play button there. And he goes around sharing the lessons, you know, with people, the evangelistic lessons that we have, you know, recorded. And churches are being planted and people are being baptized and the church is growing. You know, the, the kingdom is being furthered there in that part of the country. And, and I hope that, you know, like I mentioned during class, 
that this year, in 2012, next year actually, you know, Phyllis and I will be able to go and meet some of those brothers and sisters. Uh, you all know so well about the medical campaign that we have. You know, we've had for three years in a row now, and we're going on our fourth medical campaign in 2012. So many of you have been there to bless people, to touch their lives, to pray with them, to give the medical assistance. Over 2,000 people have been assisted in the last three years. Uh, you may not be able to go to where our Teiru is. I may never get on that boat with our Teiru, okay, and meet those fishermen out there. I may never meet, you know, some of those folks where says is using our DVD, you know, to, to show them the TV program. Uh, you may never be able to go to the medical campaign that we have there at Cidade Nova in YouTube. But you know, when you give financially, when you give your support to that ministry, the Bible says that we become partners. You share the same ministry, the same work. And this is God's idea. This is God's plan. I didn't come up with this. You didn't come up with that. It was God's idea. The Bible says that in Christ, we are new creation. We have been called and given the privilege to become ambassadors for Him. We have a, a ministry of, called reconciliation, calling people to become, again, friends with God. And then it says, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2, that now, because of God's grace, we've been called fellow workers with God in the gospel. So we are fellow workers, but more than that, we are fellow workers together with God in a business that has an eternal impact, that makes a difference in the lives of thousands and thousands and thousands of people every day. I mentioned, you know, in the first service that very likely people will forget us after a few years, after our passing here, or after your retirement, you know, in your business. I know it's hard to believe, and that's why they come up with monuments, so people won't be forgotten. And they have special days. I understand yesterday we had a special day to remember the veterans, people, dear people, who deserve all the honor we can give them, people who died in the wars. Yeah, we come up with all of those things so people can be remembered. But the truth is, most of the things that go on in this world will be forgotten, will not be remembered, including ourselves, except when we're doing something in the kingdom, except when we're investing in the kingdom. Jesus said, even if it's just a cup of water, there is a reward. It's not going to be forgotten. I met a, a minister, a friend out here who works with the congregation here, a church for 27 years. He's about to go on a sabbatical. I was talking to him and I asked him, um, please teach me. I'm at your feet. Teach me, what are some of the wonderful lessons, some of the hard lessons that you've learned being with one church for 27 years? He said, let me start with the hard lesson. He said, I feel like in 27 years of ministry, the impact has been on my life, but I really haven't been able to impact the church like I wanted to. And that saddened me. Because I'm one who believes that what I'm doing has an eternal impact, can make a difference in this world. I have no doubts at all 
about that. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. I'd be wasting my time with you this morning if I didn't believe that. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, verse 10. Hebrews 6, 10. One of my favorite verses. God is not unjust. God is not unjust. Isn't that wonderful? Because I am unjust sometimes. It says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. In this partnership, there's no forgetfulness. God is not going to forget what we're doing when we're involved in kingdom business. All right? And then the second word, you know, that Paul uses is the word credit in, in, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 17. Philippians 4, 17, Paul says, let me find here. Paul says, not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credit to your account. It's not that I, you know, I'm anxiously needing your help, that if you don't help me, I'm doomed to destruction. I'm going to starve to death. Not at all. He doesn't have this fear. He knows his Lord. He trusts his Lord all his Christian life. But he's saying, what you're doing for me is being registered up in heaven. Our partnership in the gospel our giving, our involvement in ministry, be it here, be it in Brazil, or anywhere in the world, means that whatever we do is being registered in heaven. We are investing in heaven. We cannot take anything there, but you can be sending it ahead of you. Jesus said, don't try to treasure, or you know, to amount treasures on this earth. It's not going to last. Moth, rust, thieves will not allow that to happen so you'd better invest where? In heaven. Paul said in 1 Timothy 6, you came bringing nothing to this world, and when you leave, you take what? Nothing. Same thing that you brought in. Brought nothing, you take nothing out of it. Okay? Uh, this man died in this little town. Somebody asked, you know, what did he leave? A wealthy man. Everybody was curious. Five million Ten million reais or dollars or whatever. And the answer was, he left it all. He left everything. You don't take anything with you. So Paul is saying, but when you invest in the kingdom, you're sending ahead of you. You're investing for your eternity. You're investing in heaven. That's what, it, that's what he's saying. And Jesus said in Matthew 19 to his disciples, whoever left his family, like parents, whoever left his properties, whoever... Whoever left everything for my sake will receive a hundred times and will inherit the eternal life. That's what Jesus says. And then the third word, you know, here in the book of Philippians chapter 4 is the word sacrifice. He says, verse um, 18, Paul says, I have received full payment. And even more, I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. This is an Old Testament you know, language. Paul is using uh, the book of Leviticus here. And Paul is saying, 
When you give, when you get involved in, in this partnership, you're actually pleasing God above every, everybody else, above everything else. God is being pleased. And he is using the language in which a man would go to the temple. He would take a, a little animal to the priest. The priest would slaughter the animal. He would burn the fat and the smell would rise up to heaven. The whole community could smell it. Therefore, it was a, it was a community experience and God was pleased. He was offering God a sacrifice, and a fragrant offering. God doesn't want anything from you or me that is not given sacrificially. He doesn't want anything from you or me that is just done conveniently. He wants what is consecrated. Only the best, the first. Jesus was right there in the temple. People were bringing their contribution. They were putting the collection plate in the temple treasury. He noticed some people that probably were very affluent and, uh, and they were bringing their money, putting those large, big bills there. And Jesus is watching everything that's going on. And then comes this little lady, you know, the little widow, as we know, and she puts only two little coins. And Jesus calls the disciples aside. And he says, you see that little lady? She gave more than anybody else. We have a problem with that in Brazil. I need to be honest with you about this point. Because I've heard so many people get up there during the contribution time, you know, and they say, you see, you don't have to give very much. You can follow the example of the widow. But Jesus is saying exactly the opposite. Jesus saying she gave all that she had to live on. The other ones just gave out of the leftovers. But she gave all. And the Philippians had learned the lesson here. They had given beyond their wealth. They had given beyond what they had because of their big hearts, because of their generosity and their desire, deep desire to be involved in kingdom business and furthering the kingdom in the improvement, investing the improvement of spiritual lives in missions. So the conclusion of all this is in verse 19. Paul says, And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And of course, in verse 20, he says, our God and Father. He's not just a God way out there who doesn't care, who doesn't see what's going on in your life, who doesn't see any of the needs that you're going through, that you have in your life, in your day-to-day life. He sees and he cares about us. He sees and he loves to you know, provide for his children. He sees and he loves to meet all our needs. Uh, of course, we need to make an observation here. He's not saying that I can go out there and max out my credit card and say, okay, God will take care of this. God will bail me out. No, he's saying that God will meet my needs, not my greeds, not exactly what I want. But he will take care of me. He will not forget what I've done in the kingdom. He will not forget what I've you know, done to serve people, to make a difference in the lives of people, and to bless people. Uh, and you know, Jesus said, uh, God takes care of the flowers in the field. God takes care of the little birds in the air. If God takes care of little things, won't he take care of you? It's a, it's a lesson uh, to trust God. This morning, 
the invitation is to trust God. God, you know, we've sung already once that God is our uh, fountain whence, and we're going to sing again, there's a fountain free. God is this fountain, a fountain that can meet all your needs, be it, you know, physical needs, spiritual needs, emotional needs. It's not a problem for him. He can tackle them all. He can bless you. And, uh, of course, the promise is preceded by a premise. And the premise is we need to be involved in investing in the kingdom. All right. God bless you.